sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hi, I'm Sabrina Steerwalt, and I'm Everyday Einstein, bringing you quick and dirty tips to help you make sense of science. An estimated 37 million people worldwide are living with HIV, with just under 2 million of those people having recently contracted the virus. In the United States, around 1.1 million people live with HIV, but as many as 15%, or roughly 1 in 7, of those infected do not know they carry the virus. Some groups bear more of the burden of the HIV risk than others, especially racial minorities and men who have sex with other men. HIV is considered rare in the U.S., with less than 200,000 new infections per year. But for those living with HIV, treatment of the virus becomes a lifelong commitment to medication and maintenance because a reliable cure remains elusive. So what makes HIV so hard to eradicate? And how close has science brought us to a cure? The human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV, is a virus that targets the body's immune system. Within a few weeks of contracting the virus, known as the acute infection stage, people typically experience what feels like a very bad case of the flu, as the virus works hard to replicate itself throughout the body. Once this initial surge is over, HIV transitions into a clinical latency stage, which means people carrying the virus can go for years without experiencing any symptoms at all. If left untreated, however, HIV can lead to acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, or AIDS. This occurs once the immune system has become sufficiently damaged or has been weakened enough to allow the contraction of what are called opportunistic illnesses. The first cases of clinically reported AIDS in the United States occurred in 1981 in Los Angeles. Since then, despite extensive study, we are still without a standard cure. HIV is particularly difficult to combat because it attacks the body's immune system, the very system meant to fight off infections like HIV. The virus first hijacks a protein called CD4, found on the cells of our immune system, to replicate itself and then eventually kills those cells off. Among those under attack are T-cells, the cells typically tasked with seeking out and destroying cells infected with viruses or cancers. HIV is also able to kill off immune system cells that it hasn't even infected yet. The loss of those uninfected cells further leads to the decline in the immune system's ability to do its job, and thus the body's ability to fight off future infections. As if all of that weren't challenging enough, HIV is found to have an extremely high mutation rate in the first 10 days of infection, meaning researchers looking for a cure are chasing down a moving target. We've discussed before how challenging it is to come up each year with a vaccine to fend off the ever-adapting flu virus, and the rapidly mutating HIV is at least an order of magnitude worse. The virus at work on the body has been likened to an arsonist setting fire to the local firehouse. There is no way to fight the blaze when the tools for that fight are the ones under attack. 
The first person was functionally cured of HIV in 2007. Known at first only as the Berlin patient, the American man later revealed himself to be Timothy Brown. In his detailed account of his experience with HIV and with his cure, Brown describes how his latent HIV eventually led to a leukemia diagnosis. During chemotherapy treatment for leukemia, his doctor, Dr. Garrow Huter, looked for stem cell donors as part of his leukemia treatment. The goal of such transplants is to replace the patient's blood and immune system cells, cells found in bone marrow, while the existing compromised immune system cells are wiped out by chemotherapy. Dr. Hudo decided to look for a donor who not only shared his patient's tissue type, but also had a rare genetic mutation known as CCR5 Delta 32. The CCR5 mutation is a protein that sits on the CD4 immune system cells and essentially acts as a gatekeeper, barring HIV from entering. While in remission from leukemia, Brown initially refused the proposed bone marrow transplant, not wanting to be a self-described guinea pig for stem cell research. He changed his mind when his leukemia returned and his survival from leukemia became dependent on the donor bone marrow. After first being diagnosed with HIV in 1995, Brown received the bone marrow transplant from a donor with the HIV-resistant mutation in 2007 and stopped taking his HIV medication the same day. Three months later, no HIV was found in his blood. There have been numerous similar attempts since Timothy Brown's story that have not had the same success. Some patients died from complications related to their cancer. Others died from complications related to the transplant. Others still simply did not show the same HIV remission or showed signs of being cured of HIV, only to have the virus return months or years later. Some patients have undergone the transplant but have not stopped their antiretroviral HIV treatment drugs, and so their HIV status is not known. Twelve years since Timothy Brown, in 2019, the second person, known as the London patient, was reported to have been, quote, functionally cured of the virus meaning that he is no longer taking antiretroviral therapy and has shown no signs of HIV in his blood a year later. The British man contracted HIV in 2003 and was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, a type of cancer of the blood, in 2012. Like Timothy Brown, he received a chemotherapy treatment and later a bone marrow transplant from a donor with the same rare genetic mutation that resists HIV infection. Donor transplants aren't an option for everyone living with HIV. They are expensive and risky, as evidenced by what these success stories have in common. Each patient was not simply looking to experiment, but needed the transplant in order to survive. An exact match between donor and recipient blood or tissue type also has to be made. Some people have few matches to start with, let alone finding a match that also has the rare HIV-resistant mutation, found in only 1% of Caucasian people of Northern European origin. All of these caveats add up to a very precise set of conditions that have to be met in order for an effective cure to be reached. Both Timothy Brown and the London patient also experienced graft-versus-host complications. This is when the donor immune cells attack the recipient's immune cells rather than support them, it is not clear whether or not these complications assisted in the eradication of the HIV or if the transplant alone was enough. The Center for Disease Control reports that the number of new HIV infections in the U.S. was declining until 2013 when that number began to level off at around 39,000 new infections per year. 
the lack of continued decline may be due to the fact that not everyone has adequate access to HIV prevention and treatment, and others still are not aware of their HIV status. Of the estimated 37 million people living with HIV, only 59% are undergoing antiretroviral therapy. That's up from previous years, but still leaves more than an estimated 16 million people without the drugs they need to maintain their own health, as well as reduce the risk of sharing the infection with others. HIV is no longer the pandemic that it was in the 1980s, but we have lost 35 million people worldwide to the virus. Researchers continue to search for a cure that is less risky and more reliable than bone marrow transplants including developing synthetic molecules that block HIV pathogens from infecting healthy cells. But until such a cure is accessible to everyone, the intermediate goal must be to make sure everyone living with HIV has access to the treatment they need. Until next time, this is Sabrina Steerwalt with Everyday Einstein's quick and dirty tips for helping you make sense of science. You can become a fan of Everyday Einstein on Facebook or follow me on Twitter where I'm at QDT Einstein. If you have a question that you'd like to see on a future episode, send me an email at everydayeinstein at quickanddirtytips.com.